Welcome back to episode 3 of the Gladiator's Den where we're going to look at UFC 286. Leon Edwards successfully defended his belt in his first title fight against Kamara Usman. Justin Gaethje overcame the odds to beat Rafael Fitzayev and much much more. Without further ado, let's get to it. So let's just jump right in. Leon Edwards successfully defended his belt in his first title fight as champion. Closing the trilogy with Kamara Usman, ending on two victories and one loss. Now, this was a big fight for Leon Edwards for many reasons. First, he was fighting in front of his home crowd in the main event. And with the history with Leon Edwards and the English crowd, it was a it was a great moment to see him finally get that support. When he was when he was being introduced by Bruce Buffer and the crowd was doing it along with him, they were chanting the headshot dead. It was so, so refreshing to see him finally get his respect because the last time he fought in England, I believe, was in like 2018, 19 with the, the, the Masvidal incident behind the scenes. And he wasn't really re- um, receiving the reception you'd expect from a hometown fighter. And... Man, Leon's been one of those people that's really, really had to work to get where he's at. So, to see him put on the performance that he did, and we're going to get into the the brass taxes of that performance in just a minute, but I just want to give Leon Edwards the props he deserves, because this is someone that's come from the gutter. This is someone that's had to work extremely hard to even get the title shot. He's not only been disrespected from his peers, but also his hometown fans and fans across the world. It's all finally coming together for him, and I I couldn't be happier for the guy. Like, obviously, I don't know him personally. Um, Yeah, but he seems like someone that deserves this, if you you know what I mean. So, yeah, for those that are living under a rock and you don't know what happened at the, the... In the second meeting, sorry, between these two... Leon Edwards was um, three rounds, yeah, three to three rounds down um, in going into the last with about a minute left on the clock. Hit the head kick that shocked the world. Kamara Usman was on a 16 fight winning streak, one of the best welterweights of all time. No one even came close to finishing him. He was cruising. In the last round, he was clearly, clearly going to win if he could only hear the sound of that bell in one minute. Leon Edwards fakes the left, hits the perfect high kick, and the rest is history. So going into the trilogy fight this past weekend, Kamara Usman was probably, rightly so, still a heavy favorite. I personally myself did have Leon Edwards to win. If you don't believe me, you can check my verdict predictions. Shout out verdict. I predict my fights every week on there. And I predicted Leon Edwards to win both of those fights, both via knockout. So yeah, Kamara, Kamara Usman sorry, is the favorite for good reasons. He's only lost two professional fights, I believe, going into this fight. And he has a lot to prove. He's just lost his title. He's talked about how it was a weight off his shoulder. He, um, yeah. So the only, the only question mark over Kamara has been going into this fight was, was he going to be gun shy? Was the knockout going to affect his mental health or his mentality even going into this fight? And honestly, uh, I didn't personally see it. I didn't personally see that it had affected him. I thought he fought with the same intensity. He just had a different game plan. So I believe he was more wary of what Edwards was capable of than he was affected by what happened to him. But yeah, Edwards, he came in with a totally different plan. I mean, I keep getting sidetracked because I've got so many, so many things I want to get off my chest and so many things I want to say. So... It might all come out mumble-jumble, but I'm just going to carry on ranting as I am. So yeah, Kamara Usman coming in, heavy favorite. And coming to enemy territory. But yeah, Edwards, he's come from nothing. He's a champion now. It's time to prove a point. 
And I think we can make the assumption after this fight that Usman's career is on a decline, whereas Edwards' trajectory is up. So maybe the timing has been suitable for Edwards. But let's not take anything away from the victory. So yeah, the key differences I saw in Edwards and what I personally think allowed him to win this fight is the fir- in the first fight, in the second fight, if I say first fight, I mean second fight, the first title fight. Again, like I said, I'm on a bit of a tangent, I'm on a bit of a rant here, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, just, just allow it. So yeah, in the first fight, Edwards was pushed up against the fence and he was taken down a lot. I did have a statistic somewhere. Let me see if I can pull it up while I'm talking. It was something crazy. Like uh, in the first fight. uh, Let me see. Here it is. Got it. In the first fight. Now this time I genuinely do mean the first fight. Usman was 6 for 13 on his takedowns. 10 minutes and 50 seconds control time. Fight 2. Five for twelve on takedowns. Ten minutes thirty-six control time. Now let's bear in mind, fight number two is five rounds, whereas fight number one is only three rounds. So that's ten minutes and fifty seconds control time in a fifteen-minute fight. And then in round in fight three, four for fifteen on his takedowns with only five minutes and three seconds control time. So compared to the second time they met, the first title fight, he's half the control time. And successfully defended more. So yeah. Trying to come back to my original point. What I was trying to make. What I was trying to make sense of. And try and explain is that. In the first fight. Usman had so much control up against the fence. And he seemed to be able to ragdoll Edwards around. To some extent. I think we was all kind of surprised with Edwards' strength in the second fight. But more so in this one. But I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Yeah, so Usman controlled Edwards, especially in the later rounds, in rounds three, four, even the start of round five. In this fight, Edwards didn't allow himself to be put up against the fence. He was, his lateral movement was what caused Usman a lot of problems. He was keeping him at distance with the leg kicks, and he was using a lot of lateral movement to keep his back off the fence, which is where Usman had a lot of his success. Like I just said, he had almost 10 minutes control time in the second fight and five in the third. Using the leg kicks, using the body kicks, going for the center of the cage more aggressively than we had seen him do before against Usman, all worked into Leon Edwards' favor massively. I was super impressed with his tie clinches as well. Usman doesn't usually shoot in the center of the cage. He kind of pushes you up against the fence. Not really chain wrestling. He just kind of gets a bit dirty with it. He'll he'll rough you up against the fence. He'll drag you down. It's very rare you'll see him shoot for a single leg, shoot for a double leg in the center of a cage. So Usman uses his jab well to to set up the motion into getting you up against the fence. So when he's doing this, Edwards is catching him in the tie clinch and throwing up knees. He's breaking with good shots to the, to the body as well. And he almost, he almost cleaned Usman out with one of the knees. How Usman didn't go down is beyond me. But yeah, I was super impressed with how, with how Edwards had adapted from the second fight and his game plan clearly worked. I think it was probably the most uncommon betting line for Edwards to win via majority decision. I thought his only path to victory was via knockout because if we go back to the second fight, he, I think the fact that Edwards knocked Usman out in the fashion he did in the second fight, people forget how much Usman was cruising to victory. Excuse me. Um, Yeah. He was one minute away from retaining his title. Four rounds to one. 
it wasn't a difficult fight for Usman, I believe, in the first one. Now, I'm not saying that Edwards got lucky. I don't think that luck plays a big... I don't think luck really exists when you're competing at this level. Everything these athletes try to do, they do it with intent and purpose. But that being said, Usman was in complete control. Now, it was not necessarily a full 180 where Edwards was totally in control in this fight, but it was a clear, clear victory for Edwards, even with the point deduction. And I've just completely forgotten, missed that he had a point deducted in the second round. Now, I scored it 48-46 to Edwards. He won every round by the round with the point deduction, which would have been a 10-8. Now, <clears throat> if if he hadn't had the point deducted, depending on whether Usman would have got the takedown or not, because we obviously can't be 100% un- convinced that he was going to get it, although it looked like he was, Edwards looked comfortable the whole 25 minutes. Now, he's only fought in two main events prior to this. One with Bilal Muhammad, and we're going to get to Bilal Muhammad very shortly because I have a lot to say on him. Which ended in the second round, I believe, because of the eye poke. So, no contest. And Nate Diaz. So, we've only seen Leon go 25 minutes once. We've seen Usman go 25 minutes countless times in his career. So, not only was it a big victory, but he also sent out a statement, I think, to show that he is the real deal right now. And the UFC really do have a star on their hands. So, yeah. Hats off to Leon Edwards. What a fucking victory. What a statement. Now, what does he do next? Dana White broke all of his own rules in the press conference. We don't announce fights on Saturdays. We don't announce fights directly after. That was my Dana White impression, by the way. Uh, Yeah, Dana White has always claimed that they do not make fights directly after events. We do not make fights on Saturdays is the famous line he said many times. He said, no matter what happens in Miami, we're giving the fight to Colby Covington. That is grade A fucking bullshit. Colby Covington is arguably... Okay, no, let me let me change that. He does. It's not that he doesn't deserve it because I think the welterweight division at the minute is kind of gone tits up. What I want to say to, for it to make sense, is that if Kamara Usman had won that fight, Covington wouldn't be the number one contender. That's how you know someone shouldn't be the number one contender. If we're gonna give people title fights based on ticket sales or how much press they can get. It's turning into the WWE. It's UFC has always, always uh, kind of been proud of the fact that they have the best fighters fight the best fighters. It's always shit on boxing because it puts on the most exciting events. It always gives the right people the title shots, the right people the main events. Now, Colby is one of the best welterweights in the division. That is undeniable. His two fights with Kamara Usman were amazing and he proved himself and proved a lot of people wrong because of the persona, the character that he plays, which we all know is a gimmick, it is character. People overlook his his actual talent, which he is an amazing fighter. But he's his last win was against Jorge Masvidal, who over the past few years has not been the Masvidal of 2019. He lost twice to Usman. So a third fight would have been a hard sell. So the fact that Leon won meant that that's why we saw Colby celebrating so much in the crowd. Now, do I think Colby can sell the fight? Do I think Colby will be a good matchup? Do I think it will be a good fight? Yes, yes, and yes. But he should not be the number one contender. And the fact that the fact that Dana White announced this on after the fight on Saturday... He, he fucked up seriously because Burns and Masvidal have a huge fight coming up in like three weeks. He could have he could have just pretended and been like, oh, well, now we have the event Masvidal-Burns. Let's see the winner of that. And then we go from there. And he could have sold that fight 
tenfold. And you're telling me that Masvidal, we see the old Masvidal, he starches Burns in one round, he gets on the mic, he cuts a great promo, calls out Leon Edwards, reminds him of the three-piece in a soda. You're telling me he doesn't sell more tickets, he isn't a more interesting fight for the fans than Leon Edwards, uh, than Colby Covington? Yeah, you're fucking out of your mind if you think so. <sighs> yeah, I was pissed. I was genuinely pissed. Because, obviously, I have the the, res- the respect of Leon Edwards. respect Leon Edwards so much because he's such a great fighter. The way he's come up, he's earned that, that belt. It's almost like a slap in the face to be like, oh, well, this guy is one and two in his last three, but we're going to give it to you anyway because he's good. So this is where we get to Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad, I think, is... And I do have a picture on my phone, so I'm just going to quickly try and find it. I think he has the fourth longest unbeaten streak in the UFC Worldweight history. He does. Nine. And we have to reword it and say unbeaten because of the no contest with Leon Edwards. But yeah, he's three fights behind George St. Pierre. Now, let that sink in. George St. Pierre, arguably the best welterweight ever. Bilal Muhammad is three fights behind him in terms of an unbeaten streak. Now, I do think that Bilal Muhammad has been unfairly treated in his time in the UFC because of his quote-unquote boring fights. But he's fought, he's fought really good fighters. Damien Meyer, great win. Stephen Thompson, great win. Luke, great win. Brady, TKO. Lima, great win. Takashi Sako, finished him. He's only lost three fights. 22 wins, three fights. All of his losses have come in the UFC. Now, I have so much more respect for people when I see that their losses come in the UFC because it shows that the the, the competition has improved. I, I don't know why. I just think that's when that's when things get hard. But yeah. So, Bilal Muhammad, I believe, is the rightful number one contender. And do I think he deserves a title fight? No. I don't think beating Sean Brady does, makes you eligible for a title fight. But the way the welterweight d- division is right now, there is nobody else. So, he's like the best of a bad bunch. Because you can't give it Masvidal and Burns, they're tied up. Chimaev, I think, said he wasn't fighting until after Ramadan. Um, he's he missed weight in his last fight. We don't know if he's even going to be come down to one seventy. You you're not you can't give someone like that the title fight. You can't give it to Thompson. You can't sell another rematch with Usman. Yeah, so it essentially, I think I've covered the the top five there. If I've missed anyone, let me know. But but yeah, so essentially, you're left with Bilal and Colby, who are the ones that aren't busy. Unless you wait for Burns and Masvidal to play out. Now, the way that Burns won in his last fight, first round finish, how does him not starching Masvidal give him the rights to a title fight? Colby beat Masvidal in a decision. If Burns goes out and finishes him in a couple of rounds, then surely that puts Burns ahead on the top in the pecking order. Burns is an absolute killer. His only recent losses come against Usman as well. Yeah, so... I think the welterweight division is in a tricky spot, but I definitely don't think Colby is the number one is the rightful number one contender. And if we're gonna say Colby sells fights, blah blah blah, the story between Bilal and Leon is way better than Colby and Leon. The fact that their fight was uh, no contest after so long out, I think Leon had been out for like three years or something. It was during COVID. <sighs> yeah, so that got me really heated when I saw that, as you can probably tell. And before we do move on, before we wrap up the Edwards and whatever conversation, let's go on to Colby Covington's beef with John Anik. Now, we all know Colby Covington plays a character. We know he's not this this bad guy. He's not this asshole in real life. And quite frankly, he seems to be quite a pussy. Now, I don't want to call him a pussy because he's clearly one of the best fighters he would yeah you know 
But he sued he sued Masvidal for being jumped. He sued uh, I forget the other fighter's name who threw a boomerang at him in Australia. He seems like a timid character who is trying to. Yeah, he's he's playing this gimmick that's complete opposite of his actual personality. But going after John Anik, who is the voice of the UFC, him and Bruce Buffer, they're like untouchable in the UFC. You go after one of those, everybody is going after you. Now, is that what he did it for? Most likely. But I don't think all press is good press. I don't think you're building a fight with... I don't think you're building a fight with Leon by going after John Anik for having Bilal Muhammad on his show. I think it just builds up a fight with Bilal, and that's not what they're going for. But, truth being told, Colby and Bilal fighting for number one contender makes more sense to me. Anyway, let's move on, because I've spoke a lot of... I've talked a lot of shit for the last 20 minutes. I've probably confused any of the three listeners listening because i have minimal notes i lost my notes i made for this podcast i've just made i've literally just says leon edwards and then i'm just going to speak all you know it says colby next question mark so yeah i'm just running on on fumes right now so if you if you're still with me thank you very much so we spoke about what's next for Edwards, but what's probably more complicated is what's next for Usman. Because Usman is, I believe, 36 in May. Now, like I said earlier, his trajectory is clearly... He's on his way out. Now, I'm not saying he's not top, top level. Because I still think he whoops 99% of the welterweight division. A fight I probably won't get to see that I would love is Usman versus Chimaev. Now, it would be kind of like Chimaev's final test before the title fight. Which, if Chimaev was 100% fighting at 170, he's probably getting a title fight next anyway. But, just for my own personal selfish reasons, Usman versus Chimaev would be amazing. But, who does he? who genuinely can he fight next? He's beat most of the people in the division. Do you really want to see him fight someone like Wonderboy? Because if he still has title aspirations, he's going to have, you know, he's probably a couple of years away in terms of wins. Because it's going to be hard to sell a fight with Edwards because he's already they've already fought three times. But Usman has fought most of these guys once or twice anyway. He's fought Colby twice, he's fought Masvidal twice, he's fought most of the division. So it's going to be hard to resell any fights, even as him him as the challenger, if Leon does lose his belt. So I think if he has title aspirations, he moves up to 185. Because there's definitely some winnable fights for him at 185. Usman's a big fucking guy. I don't know how much weight he cuts, but I'm sure he could keep on some of that muscle and still be very productive at 185. It just depends... If his heart's still in it. Because there was talks last year with him boxing Canelo. He's been in the the um what the Wakanda Forever shit, the that movie. Um Black Panther. Yeah. He was in the Black Panther movie. Maybe he wants to get into acting. He is his heart still in it? Does he still have title aspirations? If so, 185 is a good move because there's definitely winnable fights for him Alex Pereira versus Usman I'm leaning with Alex Pereira but it's definitely a fight I'm willing to see Usman versus Whitaker Usman versus Sean Strickland these are all fights that I think would be winnable fights and interesting fights to watch and I think the uh, the middleweight division is a division that could use something just to spice it up a bit so yeah that's my that's my two pence on on Usman's next fight. Next, I want to talk about Justin Gaethje and Fitzsayev. Wow. Justin Gaethje. I mean, he's like 34, right? 34, 33 or something. And he's still putting on these fucking incredible wars. Now, he is someone that gives and performs at 100% every single fight. Now, that in itself is unbelievably impressive. 
imagine being able to to go into these fights I don't even know what I was going to say. I I lost I lost four. I was just totally blank cuz I was thinking of Fitzsai's face after his fight with Gaethje. Yeah. Gaethje's going into these fights with absolutely mean 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 intentions. And Fitzsai have even said that to him after the fight. He was like every punch was damage or every strike was damage. Now the last round was given a 10-8 by one of the judges for Gaethje. Don't agree with that at all. Maybe the the visuals, the, the busted up face is what gave it. But yeah, I don't think so. But what a fight. I think it's one of those fights that I spoke about in the last episode where both guys' stock goes up. Because Gaethje was an underdog going into this fight. And again, I predicted a Gaethje win. It's on my verdict. Shout out Verdict MMA. I predicted Gaethje by decision. I didn't think Fitzsaif was getting finished and I didn't think Fitzsaif was going to finish Gaethje. I I thought Gaethje would use his leg kicks and he would keep the distance well. And if he, if Fitzsaif did get sucked into a war, that suits Gaethje. And I thought that Gaethje would prevail as he did. Now, if you look at the fight pictures afterwards, Fitzsaif clearly looks like he's been in a war whereas Gaethje doesn't but I think that's because a lot of Fitzsai's attacks were body shots so it doesn't really show as well but that being said Gaethje proved he was one of the very very best still because a lot of people did have question marks after his Oliveira fight and you know his fight with Khabib and yeah he went he went the distance with uh Chandler yeah he went the distance with Chandler yeah so over the last couple of years I guess Gaethje um Poirier it's been the same kind of guys at the top of the 155 division Fitzsai have looked like the one to break that top five I know Chandler came in and got his way in quickly but he was Bellator champion Fitzsai has come from from uh, basically an unknown fighter. So yeah. Gaethje still one of the best. Um, I think a rematch with Poirier. Is probably. Is probably where he goes next. He mentioned it himself. Poirier even said that that fight makes him nervous. Which is a good thing. It would sell. And. If you. If the streak that Poirier is also on I think there's an argument for the winner that could fight for the title or at least one away yeah so hats off to Justin Gaethje man what an incredible fighter I think he's won over half a million in bonuses the record for fight of the night performance of the night etc that means 10 plus performance on the nights or fight of the nights that guy just loves to scrap no matter what. He has entertaining fights every single time. If you're ever going to introduce a friend to UFC or MMA, show them a Justin Gaethje fight. And it doesn't even matter which one you show them. It's going to be one that gets them hooked. So yeah, next uh, next for Gaethje, I think Poirier. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Maybe the... I think if Oliveira beats Dairouche, I don't think Oliveira is going straight in for a title fight. I think he still needs another one. So I think Oliveira beats Dairouche, Oliveira versus Gaethje for a number one contender fight. And yeah, so I think for me personally, they're the two best options. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head for him to fight. Um, Obviously Chandler's tied up with McGregor. Um... Gamrot, Gamrot might be a good fight for Gaethje, but yeah, I was about to say Turner for Fitzayev. Yeah, anyway, yeah, let's move on. So Fitzayev proved, I think, close fight argument for the one. So I don't think his stock went down. I think that Fitzayev could could still be in title contention in two or three fights. So give him another year. I think he just has to get a couple of wins and then fight one big name. So I think as the general rule of thumb, you have two people that have lost fight each other and two people that have won fight each other. 
Turner, Jalen Turner was on this upwards trajectory, got beat by Gamrot, Fitzayev, just got beat by Gaethje on his trajectory to the top, so why not put Turner and Fitzayev together? Now, after his injuries and whatever he sustained, his uh, I believe he said on the MMA hour that he wants about five, six months off. Perfect for a fight with Jalen Turner. Outside of Turner, um, I don't know who, who, who makes sense. Like I just mentioned before, all of the top fighters are essentially tied up or don't make too much sense. So I think Jalen Turner would be a good shout. Um, Armin Tazraikan. I know I've butchered his name. Maybe Dan Hooker. Now to come to think of it. I know Dan Hooker won his last fight, but Dan Hooker Fitzayev could be a fun fight. They haven't fought before, right? I don't think so. Yeah, Dan. why not, why not do Dan Hooker versus Fitzayev? That's a fight I would love. Yeah, I changed my mind. Dan Hooker, Fitzayev. Okay, so we're halfway through. Let's quickly move on. And if you're still with me, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Gladiator's Den MMA. If you just type in The Gladiator's Den, it will come up. I'm going to leave all the links in my Podbean description. We have now moved the podcast over from Buzzsprout to Podbean. If you're not listening on Apple Music or spotify then give us a follow on podbean it's free to sign up to the website they have an app for your phone it makes everything super easy and you can find a bunch of good podcasters on there as well so yeah you can leave comments on there and stuff like that follow my youtube follow my instagram same names i'm going to leave all the links in here i appreciate it thank you very much now to the second half of the show i want to talk about the rest of the people on the card i've been going on a bit of a tangent here so I need to move on quickly. Mart- Marvin Vittori's win. Now, again, not to toot my own horn, I had Marvin Vittori winning on my prediction. I'm going to keep saying this. I predicted every... I, pre- I got four out of five predictions right on the main card. The only prediction I got wrong was I predicted... Casey O'Neill, I was feeling a bit a bit spicy with that one. But yeah, Marvin Vittori beat Roman Dolidis. Again, I'm fucking crap with names, but yeah. An up-and-comer in the middleweight division. Um, this win has set the middleweight division back a few years, honestly, if you ask me. Now, I'm so surprised that Marvin Vittori is still only like 29. He is someone I think doesn't that doesn't get the respect they deserve. Um, I I didn't really like Vittori a few years ago, but he's really grown on me. I think a combination of me respecting his skill more and the fact that he seems to have matured uh, as a person. He seems to be a lot more mature uh, in his interviews and his press conferences and things like that. But there was no way I thought Vittori was getting was getting finished. And if you watch the Vittori Costa fight, you would see why. The some of the shots he can take, he is one fucking tough guy. He has a jaw made of granite. There's no way that you can that he's getting finished lightly. Now, if if Roman didn't get him out there in the first round, I thought it was Vittori's to lose. And yeah, it's exactly how I envisioned the fight going. Roman came out guns blazing, hit him with some good shots. What I was super impressed with was Vittori's movement against the cage. Now, I don't know if my memory is just tricking me, but I've always thought of Vittori as this kind of one-dimensional fighter. He's just kind of, he's a, he's a target, he's a sitting duck, so to speak. Now, I don't know if that's because elite strikers like Adesanya and Robert Whitaker have made him look like that but in my mem- in my mind I see I've always seen Vittori as this big stiff board that's in front of someone getting hit that just walks you down and then goes for the takedown in this fight he was up against the fence he was slipping he had his hands up he was he was defending himself really well he was throwing a bunch of leg kicks now I know he's been out in Thailand working on his Thai boxing so maybe that's the reason why but I was super impressed with his defensive work. 
Um, especially fighting against someone that's as dangerous as Roman is. So yeah, Vittori's win puts him back in the win column after his win, uh, loss against Whitaker. Now, who does he fight next? Because he's fought most people in that division. He's fought Adesanya twice. He's fought Costa. He's fought Whitaker. He's fought Hermanson. He's fought Kevin Holland. Uh, yeah, I mean, who does he fight next? He's definitely not ready for a title shot, but stick stick him against Usman. Put Usman up at middleweight and stick him against Vittori. Uh, yeah, no, I have no idea who Vittori should fight next, but he's definitely doing the right thing. He's praising his opposition. He's talking well about people like Adesanya, about Whitaker. He's performing extremely well. He's He's doing everything right. And at only 29... There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that he's gonna keep improving and he's gonna be back in title contention soon. Uh, moving on, I want to talk about Jack Shaw's move to featherweight. Now, I'll be honest, I, I didn't even know he was fighting at featherweight. I, I only realized when I looked at the card before the fight, saw he was fighting, and I thought, isn't he, a, isn't he a featherweight? So yeah, apparently Jack Shaw complained about his weight cuts being an issue. And I I, I hate the way that these uh, these athletes cut weight, but let's leave that for now. So yeah, so Jack Shaw complained about weight cuts and he fought again, get ready for a name butchering, Makwan Amikani. Amikani, yeah. So... Someone that's known for for gassing, essentially. Someone that we know gets tired, but has good ground game. Jack Shaw, very rounded, good rounded fighter. I was intrigued and blissfully unaware that, that them two guys were even fighting. So, 10 minutes before the walkouts, I was like, oh shit, nice. Um, didn't know this was happening. This is an interesting matchup. And then seeing the first round where Jack Shaw clearly lost a round, I was like, oh wow. Now he has got his uh, back up against the wall. Especially going into the fight as such a heavy favourite. Um, I think Jack Shaw is a great addition to the heavyweight... Uh, heavyweight, fuck me. A great addition to the featherweight division. Because the reign of Volkanovski and Holloway has... You know, it's it's taken away the shine of so many fires. And the, the gap has just been so far... The, the featherweight division hasn't really got the love it deserves since the the McGregor-Alvarez era. So yeah, I think someone like Jack Shaw, who has bundles of talent, he's a very well-rounded fighter. Someone like that can shake up the, the, the division in years to come. So, I think he's like 24, right? He's fucking super young. So, give him, you know, a few years. He's definitely a name to look out for. The Welsh GSP, 17 and 1 Jack Shaw. And he just seems like a great guy, so especially after all the things that he spoke about in his in his post fight interview about his dad battling cancer and things, you've just got to respect someone like that. So yeah, and I've just reminded myself of a point that I wanted to make at the beginning of the podcast when I said the post fight interview, which is I love as much as everyone these stacked cards where we get like 15 fights. Eight hours long. I am one of the biggest MMA nerds or whatever you want to call it. I will sit there from the early prelims to the very end of the main event. Then I will watch all the press conferences. Then I will watch all the podcasts and interviews with the fighters pre the fights and post fights. I will find out everything and watch everything I possibly can. So it does piss me off when they stack these cards out and then they cut people off post-match interviews. Post-fight interviews, sorry. Because there's so it's such a good platform for people to 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 make progress in their career. If you have an outstanding performance and you want to call someone out, you have that taken away from you. You only have those 30 seconds or whatever it is because when you're being interviewed in the back, 50, 60% of the people don't care anymore. 
you need to make the big statement. You need to make the call out or whatever after the fight. So making these fight cards like eight hours long, 15 fights, whatever it is, and having the commentary booth talk for eight hours. I mean, I was listening to, I, can't, I think it was Ariel Hawani's show, and he was talking about how these guys don't use the bathroom. They sit there for like eight hours. They're scrutinized. And that is fucking hard work. But yeah. Um, it pisses me off because it happened to Gabrant as well. I think I mentioned that on my YouTube channel. That Gabrant didn't get a post my interview when he won in a significant fight in his career. Because he's been going through a rough patch. So yeah, I think these guys deserve deserve an outlet for making a call out. Because they need to make progress. And yeah, stacking these cards up doesn't allow that. Um, before I talk about more of the prelims, I did miss out that Gunnar Nelson submitted Brian Barberina in the first round. Props to him. Barberina took it on short notice. Gunnar Nelson, I mean, he's doing everything right at welterweight. He's, he kind of gone under the radar, right? I mean, he, he doesn't really say much. He didn't compete much. I think he was out for like three years before before his fight against Sato. So, yeah. And he had two hard fights in 2019 against Burns and Edwards, which he both lost, which he lost both by decision. But he's definitely someone that we should keep an eye on. He's he's a dangerous fighter and he's he's really good. Um yeah, we spoke I spoke earlier about Casey O'Neill getting beat by Jennifer Meyer. Meyer. I mean, Meyer's had, what, 31 fights? Casey O'Neill, that was her 10th or 9th or something. Nothing to be ashamed of. Meyer is an amazing fighter. Casey O'Neill is still really fresh. So, yeah, congratulations to, to them. Um, In the prelims, Chris Duncan. He beat Morales after... A pretty close match. Um, Sam Patterson. Wow. Sam Patterson got absolutely sent into the shadow round by Yanal Ashmoz. He'd only had seven professional fights. Sam Patterson was a heavy favorite. Now, I will be the first to admit, when I don't know a fighter or that's fighting, I will hold my hands up and be like, yeah, I've never heard of these guys. It does my fucking nothing when people are like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And they're just saying it because they want to appear knowledgeable. If you don't know who someone is, it just makes it all that more interesting. There's like 700 UFC fighters. There's no way that anybody on this planet knows every single one of them. So, yeah, there's two fighters. I didn't know who any of them were. They could have both been making their debut, for all I know. I definitely know Ashmose was making his debut and he was the underdog. Um, Obviously, when these UFC cards go to foreign countries, they try to... To have a lot of hometown fighters on. So maybe they got Sam Patterson signed for this fight specifically. But digging into his history a little bit. He was a Cage Warriors fighter. Cage Warriors champion etc. Um, he got fucking demolished. Now. Talk about making a statement. Yeah. So. Props to him. I don't have much more to say on the matter. But. Wait. Have I just meant. No. He wasn't even in Cage Warriors. Ignore me. I literally just googled it and he was in Brave. So yeah, Sam Patterson wasn't a Cage Warriors champion. I'm just making stuff up. So, if you want to listen to false information, listen to the Gladiators Den MMA. Anyway, moving on. Um, Mohamed Makayev. Wow, what a fucking warrior. If you've not seen this fight or you've not seen these pictures circling online, just Google or go on Twitter, type in Mohamed Makayev and see his leg being bent like a banana it it pains me to think about it i was wincing while watching it and the way he's described it afterwards is it's unbelievable he said he could feel cracking and popping which to me is his ligaments now from a personal perspective i've had knee issues in the past i've i have really bad knees Oh, bad knee. So I know how painful it can be to have damage to your ligaments and things like that. Ah, oh, 
I mean, it was absolutely locked in. It couldn't have been any tighter. And he didn't tap. He came on Ariel's show and he said, I'll never tap. I would rather snap my leg. Now, elite mentality, yes. Tough as nails, yes. Stupid as fuck, yes. Because if you ruin one of your main joints, arms, legs, and you're out for a year, two years, that puts serious, serious roadblocks in your in your career. Especially if you're Makayev and you have the aspirations to be the youngest UFC champion ever. So, fingers crossed his, le- his knee is alright because he is an, an exciting fighter. He is someone that I genuinely, genuinely look forward to watching because he is actively looking for fights. He is actively wanting to fight more. I've said it on the past two episodes, I believe. It does my head in when people don't fight a lot. Two to three fights I don't think is good enough, especially when your fights aren't long. You should fight four to five times a year if you're if you're uh, fit and healthy. So yeah, Makaya fought four times in UFC in 12 months. He won all four. He's he's making his way to the top. He's doing everything he told us he was going to do. Now, I would hate for him to have a injury and put that on hold. But yeah, there was a conspiracy about him tapping prior to that. Um, I saw it when it happened and I was a little bit confused because he wasn't in a hold that would be putting any pressure on anything. He was just in full in full guard. He was just in mount. Um, and we saw it with uh, Pro, Pro Vasca and uh, Teixeira when he was doing the weird tapping things. It's just, I think it's just from the practice room, like in wrestling and in like jujitsu sparring, it's kind of like, okay, thank you, things like that. And then that's what I thought. I thought something must have happened where he kind of was like, yeah, let's keep going. And then Mikhail later explained that um, his opponent had his foot in his shorts and then his opponent apologized for it and he said it's all good and like gave him a tap. That makes sense. So yeah, kind of... Uh, don't understand why that got as much traction as it did online. But yeah, Mikhaev is one hell of a dog. Now, I think he proved to a lot of people that as well, with the fact he didn't tap. I think a lot of people sit with me on this and say that it was a stupid decision. But, man, if you want to be champion, you've got to... You've got to do what you've got to do, I guess. Um, Yeah, so... We can't talk about Makayev's win without talking about Jake Hadley's win over Malcolm Gordon. Now, for those of you out there that don't know about the history of Hadley and Makayev, I'm going to try and summarize it. Now, I am paraphrasing. I am trying to remember. Like I said, I don't have any notes for me. I've lost them, so I'm just going strictly off memory. Um, Jake Hadley and Makayev were very prominent in the amateur in the amateur um, scene in England. Um, and then I think when both guys were at the top, I think Hadley was champion or Mikhaev. Yeah, I think Hadley was champion, but Mikhaev was getting a lot of the shine and it kind of made Hadley jealous because he's like, why is this guy getting all the spotlight? Why is this guy getting all the the sponsorships when I'm champion? I'm better than this guy. So he kept calling him out, but... To, in Hadley's words, didn't um, Makayev didn't accept, so there was a little bit of bad blood. Then I believe Hadley lost the title when they was kind of en route to fight each other. So Makayev's like, "Oh, this guy's not good enough. I don't want to fight him anyway." And then the times now, the times they could have fought, it didn't work out, and now they both are in the UFC. They're both in the same weight division. They are both young, up and coming fighters. Now. Makayev's rise to the top has been a lot quicker than Hadley's because Hadley's was halted with his defeat in his UFC debut. But I think he's come on since to prove that he is a very good fighter. Now, his fight against Malcolm Gordon, what a body shot. First round finish in like a minute or something like that. Sent a statement to Makayev who took almost 15 minutes to finish Malcolm Gordon. So I think his call out of Makayev afterwards was kind of was a good call out. I don't think it's a fight that's going to happen soon just because Mikhaev's on the way up. But if anything happens like we saw where somebody needs to jump in on short notice, I think that's when Hadley would get his fight. Uh, yeah, so 
I would love to see Hadley and Micaiah fight just for just for the to settle the beef, so to speak. But super impressive win for Jake Hadley. I think it gets him a top fifteen fight next, which is what he asked for. Especially do it in the fashion he did it. He he made a real statement and Yeah. Um Christian Leroy Duncan, I was looking forward to seeing his debut. Uh, shame to see it end in the way it did with the knee injury to to Dolrovich. Um, I saw some of his highlights in Cage Warriors. I like kind of like that that kickboxing fancy style. Um, I'm gonna get to Lerone Murphy in a minute because I'm probably gonna end on that. Uh, Joanne Wood beat Carolina. Uh, Mass and ah uh, Veronica. Hardy Macedo beat Julian Juliana Miller. Now I was impressed with that fight. I I didn't even realize that that was Dan Hardy's wife when the commentators were talking about it, and we saw Dan Hardy in the in in, in a corner. I was like, oh, that's Dan Hardy. And yeah, it was it was a great performance, the best performance we've seen from her so far in her in a in the UFC. Uh, yeah, so we're going to finish on Lerone Murphy. Lerone Murphy went in against undefeated Gabriel Santos. Everybody was kind of expecting Lerone Murphy to dominate. Now, it was a super close fight. Could have gone either way. I need to rewatch it before I give my opinion because I... Watching it live did give it to Murphy, but I was like, there's definitely, definitely an argument for Santos given the, the takedowns. He just didn't do much damage when he got them. So yeah, Lerone Murphy's a fighter that's been on my watch list for a while. Um, I love the way he fights. He's, he's so slick and with his combinations. Um, I was super looking forward to his fight with Nathaniel Wood. So when it got announced that was cancelled, I was kind of disheartened and a bit good about it. So I didn't expect it to be anything when he was announced against Gabriel Santos. A guy I've never heard of, first fight in the UFC. And boy, did he come to fight. So... I think Gabriel Santos made a great statement because Leroy Murphy is someone that people are, are very hot on. He's someone that's that's touted for good things. So for Gabriel Santos to do that and perform the way he did, I think he's given himself a really good fight next. And I think that's about it. If I am not mistaken, I have covered almost everything that I need to cover and I'm going to wrap it up there. Again, uh, thank you all for listening. If the two listeners that are still there managed to listen to it all the way through, thank you very much. If you have not already subscribed to my YouTube channel, follow me on Instagram, the Gladiators Den MMA. Thank you very much. I shall be uploading a bit more consistently now because we have moved the podcast over to Podbean. We do have some more options in terms of uploads. So. Keep an eye out for some more podcasts and some interviews in the future, hopefully. And yeah, thank you very much. I will see you all next time.